and welcome back to another episode of The Conspiracy Skeptic. I'm your conspiracy skeptic, Carl Mamer, and we have a returning guest, Nigel St. Whitehall. <laughs> Nigel? <laughs> hey, Carl, how you doing? Yeah, yeah. good. Uh, as, as, as I noted before, when we had Nigel was on several, several episodes ago, episodes ago to talk about the uh, JFK conspiracy. Uh, as I noted back then, Nigel is actually a, uh, uh, a pseudonym. You wouldn't know it, but uh, it is a pseudonym, right? Yeah. Um, I mean, I guess it's a little less obvious than Oric or something like that. Right, yeah. yeah. I mean, I really thought your name was Nigel, but, uh, but you, you set me straight on that. Well, you know, I... <laughs> yeah, I guess it. I mean, when I when I picked out the name, I thought it was so over the top, you know, quote unquote British that people would get it, but I guess not. <laughs> uh, yeah. So you you work for some level of government in some uh, uh, reasonably well paid capacity, so you, you obviously don't want to uh, to sort of you know jeopardize that or something like that. You, you have a certain need for privacy. Yeah, I mean, it's not like I'm working in a secret underground lair someplace, you know. Um, <laughs> Right, right. But, uh, yeah, I mean, working in the government, um, yeah, it's good to keep a little bit of distance. Yeah, for sure, yeah. Uh, same to our guest, I guess, Rich Orman. He's, uh, you know, he, he doesn't really want to talk too much about his job either. So, yeah, I mean, it's understandable. You never know. You never know what the crazies are going to do. And uh, anyway, so uh, you're, you're, not, you're not back on to talk about further developments in JFK. Well, have there been any developments in JFK since, uh, since last time? Nothing earth-shattering. Um, I think shortly after I was on, you actually, I think, yeah, you sent me a link about some woman who claims it was all in the star lineup or something like that, and how the planets aligned or the stars or something like that, and it was more just completely wackadoo stuff. Right, okay. So, yeah, that's, that's pretty pretty well-trodden ground. Uh, but, um, yeah, so you have another kind of, uh, this one's, like, really obscure, but you, you sort of mentioned it offhand. I'm like, I'm like, Wow, really? I never heard of that one before, but that's awesome. Let's do it. So that's why I'm having you back. So, so what is what is your second favorite conspiracy of all time? Um, it is the alleged sinking of the HMS Invincible during the Falklands War. Yeah, so, so that would be a be a British a British what kind of a British ship, right? Yeah, it's a it's it's a Royal Navy aircraft carrier. Right. Okay. Um, that uh, was the pride of the fleet back in 1982. Now, if if I recall, uh, I think when the British were they, they built two, right? The HMS Invincible and the HMS Illustrious, right? And then they built a third sister ship, the Ark Royal, that came out a couple years after those two. Oh, really? Okay, okay. So I think, uh, but when they sort of built them, they they didn't call them aircraft carriers. It was a bit of like bureaucratic subterfuge. They called them something like through deck carriers, just to, well because. Aircraft carrier was just, you know, anytime anyone wants to build an aircraft carrier, that's, that sounds big and expensive. Well, I, it also, I mean, I mean, I could go into about my, 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 suit, my sort of kind of knowledge of British history, and I'm sure if anyone from Britain is listening, they're going to start laughing at me. But, um, I mean, it's just one of these political footballs that in the mid-60s, the British, the, I guess the Royal Navy or the Imperial War Council, whatever it's called, I uh, was planning to build a whole new generation of aircraft carriers, and um, basically the government at the time said, no, those things are kind of expensive, and the empire is going away, so we don't need them anyway. And so what they, the Royal Navy, the Navy itself started to design is 
thorough deck ca- uh, cruisers, which were basically little aircraft carriers that carried helicopters. Um, but it was basically an aircraft carrier by a different name. Um, because, you know, when you're, you're still a Navy, you still need to have uh, aircraft at sea and that type of stuff. Okay. Um, and, and, yeah. And, the, and so, so for people who are maybe used to like American aircraft carriers, or they got like F-14s and F-18s and, you know, things with those little whirly things on top that, you know, with radar, the, the British carriers aren't quite so elaborate, right? Yeah. Uh, I, you know, if you think like aircraft carrier and you think of, you know, Top Gun. Right. Um, just brimming, it's just huge, giant vessels with about 80 to 100 aircraft, and they've got catapults shooting these things off and all that. The British aircraft carriers are probably a quarter of that size, and instead of carrying like 100 aircraft, they carry something more like 10 helicopters and 10 of these kind of interesting airplanes called Harriers, which are short takeoff and vertical landing. So, like, right. the, the jets on them can be veered so they take off like on a ski jump <laughs> and then they land vertically by moving their jets a certain way so they can land straight down the deck so you don't need all the arresting gear and all that expensive stuff which like a tomcat or something like that would have right 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 so uh so the, the, the falklands war that what that happened in uh what year did the falklands war happen that happened in the year 1982 when i was 11 years old Okay. And, and at the time, I mean, this sounds terrible, but I was an 11-year-old boy. It was like the coolest thing that had been going on all year, you know? I mean, yeah. Oh, for sure, yeah. You suddenly had this war that was happening between, you know, Great Britain and uh, Argentina for some bizarre reason. And, um, you know, I was transfixed in the TV every night for, you know, the 82 days, whatever that lasted. Right, yeah. Um, but this, this, this was before, before Desert Storm and stuff like that, right? Oh, yeah, well, well before. Um, um, And, you know, it's one of those things that it's kind of... (laughs) The war itself was a weird sort of... It was... uh, How do I put this? It was like the last gasp of the British Empire strutting its stuff, so to speak. Um, You know, the the whole war itself, if you want me to go into a little detail. Yeah, sure. Um, I'm sure sure a lot of our our listeners were probably born after... (laughs) 1982. Yeah, well, I'm about to pretend that I am... Uh, I don't know if you ever listened to the uh, uh, My History Can Beat Up Your Politics podcast. Where it's all about history. I'm about to go into that mode just a little bit. Um, basically, the, the islands, the Falklands, had always been in dispute between Great Britain and Argentina since... Or the Spanish Empire before Argentina for since God knows when. And since, like, the 1830-ish... Uh, Britain kind of had sovereignty over the islands, except in Argentina, all, every Argentinian child was taught from grade school and up that the Falklands were actually the Malvinas and they were ours. Um, and then, you know, they, they were, every once in a while there might be a little dust up in foreign policy and that type of thing between Britain and Argentina. But in the early 1980s, Argentina at that time was being ruled by, you know, one of the various military dictatorship junta type deals that spring up in South America every once in a while. And um, surprise, surprise, the uh, military dictatorship wasn't doing such a hot job of running the country. And so what a great way to get everybody's attention off of uh, how crappy things were, you know, domestically than to uh, do a little invasion. <laughs> um, so the... Um, you know, the Argentinians did the, you know, chest beating beforehand. And then um, I believe at the start of April 1982, 
almost completely out of the blue, uh, the Argentinian um, Air Force and Navy and, and uh, I guess Marines or their uh, army of some type uh, invaded the Falklands, which are these basically two little islands um, a few hundred miles off the coast of Argentina and like protecting it for the British Empire at the time was about a platoon, maybe 30 or 50 Royal Marines, and that was it. Um, and so they quickly over, you know, they basically overnight took over the island, and uh, the Argentinian authorities figured that with the islands being 8,000 miles away from Great Britain, that um, they'd have a cakewalk and a nice little, like, uh, you know, a nice little star on their uh, report card to show the people that they were getting stuff done. Right. And I, I, the the uh, I think the, the platoon that was based on on the Falklands uh, they they didn't actually just sort of throw up their hands they, they 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 actually put up a fight yeah they did put up a little bit of a fight and then I, I you know what I, I it's been a while since I actually read about the war itself but they put up a little bit of a, a, a kerfuffle but uh, then they basically before things got really ugly I think even from back home in London they said okay you know don't get yourself wiped out for no reason. Right, yeah, because uh-huh. I mean, there was there's a pretty big British population on the island. I mean, not big, but but I mean, a lot of civilians on the island, and they're like sheep farmers and stuff like that, right? Well, yeah, I mean, they they basically it was a few thousand people, and Port Stanley was the main, you know, I wouldn't call it city, but the the main town, um, and you know, the Argentinians just as a sidelight were making uh, waves that there's oil in them, them there. Uh, islands and we want them for that but i don't think they've ever actually found oil i think they were just kind of making that up to make a good reason why they wanted them back um right. yeah well i i think i did read i think last week that that they were the british were uh doing some test drilling i mean that's what you know that's uh that's really political but uh yeah. there, there there might in fact be oil there and uh yeah, so it's we'll, we'll see how that turns out. I mean, I'd hope they would, you know, share the oil revenue or something like that. But anyway, right? So, so, uh, sorry. So, so the Argentinians basically thought, you know, you know, the British are like nine thousand miles away, and I think their closest they had they they had another island, but I mean, that wasn't even really close. That was like. Yeah. Was it Ascension Island or well, something? Like in the middle of the Atlantic, like like middle of the Atlantic, like north to south and east to west, is this little island, Ascension Island, which the British owned, um, which was like the halfway point. And then it was like another island farther out to sea uh, called South George, which was almost completely barren of people, and the Argentinians took that as well. Right, but okay. there was really nobody there. Okay, but even even up from Ascension Island, I mean, oh, it's like four thousand miles. Yeah. Right, they can't. You can't be launching even like you know, uh, you know, F four Phantoms or something like that from there. It's it's it's. I mean, other than some long range bombers, it's pretty much useless to, you know, to provide combat air patrol or something. No, yeah, I, it was too far to. In fact, um, I mean, it was a British island, but there was an air base there, an airport or something, and that was owned by the U.S. military. Oh, okay. So that gets a little bit interesting. As you know, as the story goes on a little bit, but uh, yeah, I mean, basically, the Argentinians thought it's too far for the British to get to. The British Empire isn't what it used to be. They're not going to be able to do nothing. Bah! It'll be a cakewalk. Right. So the the, the Argentinians thought that the British, you know, they're eight thousand miles away. They're they're not, you know, they've got a navy. But I think at that, that time they had the lot, a lot of the British navy was basically, you know, the 
set up for it, sort of its NATO commitment, sort of like anti-submarine warfare, that kind of stuff. I think I think Amer- America is basically sort of charged with, you know, kind of, you know, really taking on the Soviet, you know, the the, the, the Soviet uh, Navy, whereas the British were sort of got to keep the sea lanes open, you know, make get the uh, you know the submarines, make sure there's no submarines, you know, sort of things like that. So they 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 they, at that, they weren't really sort of set up to invade anything like like you know like Iwo Jima or something if you've been watching you know the Pacific on on HBO well, yeah I, I mean at that time you know the Royal Navy you know <clears throat> everybody has this image of the Royal Navy at least I do of you know 20 30 40 giant you know dreadnought type of giant warships controlling the sea and you know royal there's navies everywhere from you know any ocean you go on to there's a royal navy ship because they own the ocean it's the royal navy and uh actually probably in the early 80s when this occurred probably the royal navy was at its lowest point that it's ever been um and i think the argentinians knew that and so i said well this is gonna be you know easy but um you know, the Argentinians weren't uh, factoring in one important thing, and that was uh, Margaret Thatcher. <laughs> right, yes. The Iron Lady, as they called her. Yeah, uh, you know, uh, Iron Maggie, uh, you know, they, they, they took back the Falklands, and the first thing she did, and, you know, there were lots of people, and I, I'm not, I don't want to get too much into the government end of it, but, you know, there are obviously lots of people saying, well, we should negotiate, we should go to the UN, blah, blah, blah. And, you know, she said... Uh, you know, basically, what ships do we have? Get them going. Get some Royal Marines together, and we're going to take them back. Right. And um, you know, eight thousand miles away, without a, a nearby base, and you know, all the NATO commitments and all that type of thing that they were supposed to be doing and patrolling for Soviet, you know, submarines on that kind of stuff. She basically said, "Ah, don't care." <laughs> right. Yeah. So, so as you sort of sort of hinted that the. the, the the only way they could provide sort of air cover is uh, is uh, like aircraft carriers, but but like they didn't have like a uh, you know USS Enterprise or, or you know a Nimitz or something like that. They they had these their last like real aircraft carrier, which was still not like you know giant Nimitz class, but their last real aircraft carrier they had uh, gotten rid of like three or four years earlier. Okay, maybe um, sold it to India or something or. Well, uh, they always seem to be selling everything to all their navy ships. To mm-hmm. Yeah, <laughs> I don't know. Well, that's well. I'll get into something else later. But they were okay. actually planning on selling shortly after around this time. They were going to sell the. I think it was the Invincible. They were going to sell it to yeah. Australia. Yeah, <laughs> but, which which is weird because they, I, I think they had just they had just sort of commissioned it in like like 1980 or something. So yeah, like, it, it was brand new and. Right. They decided, well, we don't need three of these things that we're building, so we'll sell one to the Australians because their one aircraft carrier that they had was getting pretty old. Um, And there was another ship, it was like a troop landing ship or something, that they were literally about to send to the scrapyard. And if they had scrapped that one ship, it would have been really hard to move troops down there. But, you know, luckily the Argentinians struck just a little bit too soon. Okay. yeah, the Royal Navy was quickly downsizing at this point in time. Um, and so <clears throat> Iron Maggie you know, starts sending all, everything that she can get that's floating and heads it down south towards the Falklands. And the core of the Navy were these two aircraft carriers. One of them was the, uh, I don't know, do you say Her- Hermes? 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 I'd say, I'd say Hermes, Hermes, yeah. 
Well, if you're talking about the French scarf maker, I think you'd say Hermes. But if you're talking the uh, the the aircraft carrier, uh, you'd say Hermes. Well, there's yeah, the Hermes. Um, which was a very old aircraft aircraft carrier. And this is this is a, a semi important point that I think. Yeah, we'll no, it's a very important point at yes. the end. But you got to yeah. this ship was started to be built at the during the Second World War. They stopped construction and then they commissioned it in the early fifties. Right. Yes. And it had been built and rebuilt and refurbished time and again over the previous thirty years, and um, it had just been refurbished to carry Harriers. And uh, that was the one aircraft carrier, a very old, decrepit aircraft carrier. And then the second one they had was this, the new Invincible. Um, and then the only other things that they had around that were aircraft carrier-esque was they had this sister ship of the Hermes called the Bulwark, HMS Bulwark. And a couple years earlier, that had had a fire on it. And they were thinking about, they were planning on scrapping it, but when the war broke out, they were sitting around looking at, like, can we fix this thing up? Um, but it, you know, it would take months to do that. Um, and it was a much older ship. Also, you know, started during the Second World War, commissioned in the 50s. And then there was the HMS Illustrious, which was still being built and being finished up at the time of the war. And that's also kind of important to keep in mind because it kind of keys into the whole conspiracy. Right, yes. Um, so, so, yeah. So, so they eventually get down to the, the South Atlantic. I think it took them quite a long time. They might have been going a little bit slow because they wanted to sort of – because Al, Al Haig, you know, I am, I am in control, Al, Al Haig, he, he was sort of, sort of shuttling between both nations, you know, trying to get someone to, you know, to – the, the, call the, off the war or the potential well, war well yeah I mean really on a quick sidelight uh, I mean you know the United States was in a weird position during this war at least officially right yes because um, on the one hand Argentina was well it, it was pretty much a fascist country um, uh, they, they, they were one of those the government at the time was kind of like Peru was a good guy um so they were clearly anti-communist, which was very important to the Reagan administration at the time. And on the other hand, you have Great Britain, <laughs> which, you know... Somewhat an ally. Well, yeah. I mean, you know, it, it's, it's Great Britain. <laughs> it's, yeah. you know, every time the United States does almost anything uh, of any magnitude overseas, we always make sure we try to get the British on, on board. Um, uh, it's, it's the mother country. Um, yeah. So officially, we took a very neutral position, and we didn't, you know, we didn't like the idea of these two, you know, two allies of us fighting each other. So Haig tried to do shuttle diplomacy, but I pretty quickly, uh, Thatcher just said, uh, "No, no right. we, we want our islands back, free and clear. We're not going to go to the UN. We're taking them back." And the Argentinians uh, said as much as well. Yeah, yeah, the Argentinians just they weren't in the mood for it. Um, and actually, up until, you know, the, the British sent their navy down. The Argentinians thought, well, they're going to send some ships down. It's going to be a show of force, blah, blah, blah. And uh, what ended up happening was they, the British declared a, oh, I forget what the heck they called it. It was like a, a war zone around the, the so Falklands. Exclu- exclusion zone. Yeah, an exclusion zone. Right. And um, they... Uh, they, they sent out, like, they knew the British were coming in, so they, the, the Argentinians had, like, two separate fleets, like, kind of coming in to converge on the British 
uh, naval forces. Not, I mean, they, if they had to fight them, they had to fight them. But my understanding is that it was just going to be like, you're going to do your show of force, we're going to do our show of force. And the one British, uh, the one Argentinian squadron had an old, old cruiser, uh, which was called the Borgrano. Belgrano, right. Yeah. And um, it was right outside the, the, the exclusion zone. And um, the commander of a, the, a British uh, submarine that was quickly sent down to the area, which was the Conqueror, um, saw the Belgrano. And I guess the Belgrano was about to go in this area where it was going to get shallower and it would be much harder for the submarine to track it. And, you know, the, the commander of the submarine kind of asked for directions. And, you know, the Iron Maggie basically said, sink them. Right. And the Belgrano sent a torpedo into, I mean, the uh, Conqueror sent a torpedo on the Belgrano and sunk it with a huge amount of life to the Argentinians. And it shocked the Argentinians to no end. There's about, about six or eight hundred people that went down, I think. A few hundred guys died. And it was in the cold South Atlantic when winter was coming. And, you know, this is one of those things where I think this is the first time the Argentinians kind of realized, like, uh, uh, can, can we swear on your podcast, Carl? I don't want to. Yeah, yeah, sure. Right, the Argentinians said, oh, shit. <laughs> They're going to fight. Yeah, this is real war. Um, yeah. And so all of a sudden they were like, they started to try to, like, get as many men into the uh, Falklands and try to fortify it, which they really weren't doing up until this point because they didn't think they had to. Right. Um, but at that point is like when the war really started because the Belgrano, which is a, a little piece of trivia, was actually a cruiser that used to be a U.S. Navy cruiser that was stationed at Pearl Harbor during December 7th, 41. Um, just use that for your uh, Monopoly or not Monopoly, uh, Trivia Pursuit sometime. Okay. Um, <laughs> anyway, you can edit that out. Um, Sorry. <laughs> So the war starts in earnest, and the British send down, you know, they have these two aircraft carriers. And the thing you have to remember is, is that, as I said earlier, if any one of these carriers went, the British were in deep, deep, deep trouble. Right, because that was, that was their air cover. I think they, they had, like, maybe, I don't know, was it maybe 30 or, 40, 30 or 40 Harriers against, like, maybe about 300 Argentinian aircraft. Yeah. I mean, when it started, I think the Argentinians had like 200 and some aircraft and the British had maybe 20 at sea. Okay. Um, and, you know, these Harriers are, are neat little planes. Um, and they're really, at the time, they were super cutting edge, but they weren't quite the same performance as a regular jet. Right. Um, so the, uh, the Argentinians, they had like mirages and well, tards. Like they had like some fairly top-of-the-line French uh Jet fighters, supersonic, even. Yeah, they they had just taken delivery of an air, air French uh, aircraft called a oh, I'm gonna screw a super extendar. Is that how you say it? I thought it was super untard or something like untard? that. Untard. Is that how you? Okay. Well, you see, that's why I, I like to talk to somebody who's partially French Canadian. Sorry. No, I don't know. I just, just suddenly you just see those those words and go super e whatever you know, yeah. <laughs> super en something. Yeah. Yes. So. And they, they these were these like very brand new cutting edge French aircraft, and they had these um, missiles on them called um, uh, Exocet Exocet missiles. Oh, yes. And um, these are like the the cutting edge anti-ship missile of the age. So, you know, the British were, I mean, the Argentinians had something to fight with and the British, while they, look, the British um, 
Navy and the Air Force. I mean, the British were fighting this war on a shoestring. Right, yeah. And, um, you know, the British won this war because they, I mean, the training of the troops was magnificent and they performed right. magnificently, but yeah. they were still at the end of a shoestring 8,000 miles from home. Right, yeah. Um, and as I think I noted at the beginning of the podcast, their their Navy was basically set up for, like, anti-submarine warfare. And they're, now they're trying to sort of shoehorn it into, you know, uh, you know, like a very classic, you know, Iwo Jima-type invasion fleet, you know. and uh, Yeah, and if they lost one of the two aircraft carriers, uh, they really didn't have anything to replace it for at least a few months, which probably would have meant the end of the operation. Either forever or at least until they got more ships. Exactly. Um, right. Yeah, uh, by comparison, just really quick. When the Royal Navy was in its heyday, back in 1914 during World War I, um, there was a battle of the Falklands back then. And at that time, it was the Germans uh, versus the British. And the long story is there was a squadron of British ships that were raiding the Pacific and they actually fought the British off of the coast of Chile and beat the crap out of the British. And the British at that time got really, 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 really pissed off that they were bested by the Germans. And so, you know, the, the king went to his, magic, his cupboard of whoop-ass and broke out two cans of whoop-ass. One of the ships was called Invincible, and the other one was the Inflexible. And there were these two battle cruisers, and he said, get your asses down to the South Pacific and beat the crap out of the Germans. And lo and behold... The Germans show up to raid Port Stanley on the way home to the Fatherland, and the British, you know, catch the the German squadron and just wail on it and just smash it, destroy it, do what the British Navy does best. And uh, you know, the Germans you know, screamed "Uncle," and the British didn't care, and they sank all their ships. <laughs> um, and the thing is, is that you know, at the time, the British lost ships in the Pacific, and they had a boatload more to go back to. And if the Germans somehow had sunk these two. Royal Navy ships, they had a lot more to go back on. It wouldn't have been the end of the world, but in this case, uh, this was it. Um, So, anyway, the war begins, and basically uh, there's this air-naval campaign that goes on where the Argentinian Air Force sends out a couple of ships, uh, aircraft, with bombs on them, and they try to find the British uh, naval craft, especially the aircraft carriers, and try to sink them. Um, and you know this went on for basically almost the entire campaign, and uh, I think one of the most famous sinkings that happened during this was when the uh, HMS Sheffield, which was a uh, destroyer, was hit by an Exocet and went down in pretty quick order and took a large, uh, fair amount of life. Right, right. And it was kind of stunning to the British that holy crap, the Argentinians can actually sink one of our Royal Navy ships. Right. Yeah. Um, they, they they just seemed kind of like. Very third world, you know. Well, they're soccer players, but now they've got guns. You know, they, yeah. they didn't really take them as as a professional army or even an yeah. air force or navy or anything. Yeah, and it just uh, as a side, the the uh, Argentinian navy as soon as the Bragrano was sunk, uh, skedaddled back to port. Right, right, yes. Um, I th- I think the, the Argentinians they had themselves an aircraft carrier that I I think yeah they did I think they tried to launch uh, a sortie from their aircraft carrier but the, like bad weather prevented it but but just just as sort of the Belgrano had like a, a had sort of a British sub tailing it their their aircraft carrier had a British sub tailing it and they were they were ready to sort of torpedo that thing but uh, but right after the Belgrano was sunk that. 
the Argentinians quickly brought that aircraft carrier back to port, and that's where it stayed. And uh, oh yeah, yeah. So yeah. They, and that one, I mean, that one had about a thousand crew members too that they could have you know easily sunk. I think I don't think the Argentinians were sort of quite prepared that. They sort of misjudge. Oh, you know the British. They got all these very silent running nuclear submarines, and we're not we're not at all used to you know anti submarine warfare. <laughs> well, I mean, you know, the Argentinian Navy was kind of set up, you know, more or less uh, just in case we have to fight Chile or we have to fight uh, Brazil. Right. We've got something, but it wasn't. You know, uh, as much as I said that the Royal Navy was at its lowest point, uh, the Royal Navy was still, uh, you know, for the ships that they had for the most part was highly trained and very sophisticated. Um, I mean, the, the, the Royal Navy, as always, was very professional, so they knew what they were doing. Um, so anyway, the, you know, the war goes on, and, you know, the long and the short of it without, you know, getting into bogging down was that, you know, they, they had this air-sea campaign that went back and forth between the Argentinian Air Force and the, the Royal Navy, and every once in a while, the Argentinian uh, Air Force would hit, like, the Shetfield, or they hit some container ships, or they hit some supply ships, but nothing ever so spectacular to stop the Royal Navy and the uh, from stopping or landing troops on the Falklands. And uh, they, they landed troops in the Falklands, and they fought a war for a couple of weeks, but the Royal Marines, even though they were outnumbered close two to one, I mean... They they pretty much cleaned up. Right. Yeah. Um, I think the Argentinians just basically sent like cannon fodder to the to the islands themselves. They they sort of sent a lot of like recruits, you know, sort of draftees that weren't. Well, the, yeah, they they invaded with some crack troops, but as soon as they were done invading, they pulled them out. And then when they had to send in troops to kind of man the joint, they sent in these like you know conscript second rate troops. And for one reason was they were afraid that the Chilean, Chile was going to take advantage of this war to go after Argentina, so they had to have their best troops facing Chile. So, I mean, Argentina just got themselves into a big muckety-muck here. Right. Um, so, you know, I mean, so where, where's the conspiracy? Yeah, I know. <laughs> you might be asking. We, we've had a nice history view of the Royal Navy and the Falklands. It's all quite fascinating anyways, but the Falklands War is kind of interesting Period of time, but right. So, so, so the uh, where where is the conspiracy? <laughs> well, I mean, and to be honest, I never heard of the conspiracy. The only, the first time I ever heard about this conspiracy was way, many years ago when I was in uh, undergrad uh, as a a struggling history student at Gettysburg College. Um, I was researching a paper, and I, you know, I, my my memory is I'm sitting there for hours in the basement of Musselman Library with the microfilm machines going, looking for papers and stuff like that, because that's how we used to do it in the old days, kids. Um, <laughs> there wasn't no Wikipedia. <clears throat> there was no Wikipedia, and this internet thing was something that we called Telnet, and we had to put in these string of commands, and oh my gosh, it's old. Um, so I and I'm running through the film, uh, these microfishes, and all of a sudden I I ran into this story where it was this Argentinian I don't know if it was a historian or I forget what it was exactly, but he tells this story of how the HMS Invincible was, and there's actually three slightly related conspiracies. So it's like level one, two, and three, and the one I remember reading was was that. The HMS Invincible was attacked by the Argentinian Air Force, and it was struck and knocked out of action for months. 
and at sea, the British Navy desperately tried to hide this fact and hide it from the British public, and they had to patch the ship up at sea, and it was a you know it was a kind of a moral victory for the uh, for Argentina that we were able to hit the newest and best ship of the Royal Navy. Right, um, and it's just one of those things. I remember reading it like, is this true? What? What? Oh, I got to finish my paper. I'm gonna I'm gonna get kicked out. You know, you know that type of thing. But it always kind of stuck with me. And then a little, a few months ago, I read, I was just kind of messing around the internet, um, and I ran into a second version of the story, which was the Argentinian Air Force attacks the Royal Navy at sea, and not only do they hit the HMS Invincible with an Exocet missile and a couple of other, like, 250-pound bombs, they sank it. And they kept that secret from everybody. And I remember reading that going... What? <laughs> they lost an aircraft carrier and hit it. Um, and then there's a third, much more plausible, as I don't believe this one either, which was the HMS Invincible was hit by a bomb. It didn't really do that much damage to it, but they, they hit, you know, they, they gave the Royal Navy a bloody nose, and so they're proud of that too. Right, okay. Um, so what's the, what's, what, what's the evidence that, uh, I mean, that they even, even you know, scored a goal on the uh, HMS Invincible, that they even well, got some little bit of metal against the hull of the HMS Invincible. What, what's, the, what's the supposed evidence? Well, I mean, the initial evidence from what I could track down is I think, in part, this whole thing started from on May, I guess it was May 30th, that there was uh, one last ditch. They had, like, I think literally maybe they had one Exocet missile left. And so they, you know, they get a super French aircraft. and Super Antar or something. Sure. That, that, that's right. I like that, Carl. We'll call it the Super E. We'll call it the Super okay. E. Okay. Just call it Billy. So send, Just call it Billy. We'll call it Billy. Yeah. So they send Billy out. All right. And, and they also send it with some American Skyhawks and regular bombs and one last desperate attempt to sink the Invincible. And they launch the attack. And most of that strike from the Argentinian Air Force is shot down. But they came back and they reported, we fired our missiles, and we hit the Invincible. We saw it, the bombs and the missile went out, we hit it, yay Argentina. And the, I, I, you know, in the fog of war, I have no doubt that the pilots actually thought that they had hit the Invincible. And I think that's the, 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 the beginning of the, the whole conspiracy. Um, then the further evidence that is out there is that there's all these photographs that um, pro-Argentinian HMS sunk conspiracists have. Of, they show pictures of the HMS. There's like a picture of a new aircraft carrier and the Hermes. And they look at the picture and they say, if you look at the details of this picture, that's not the HMS Invincible, that's the illustrious, mm-hmm. but they're trying to make you think it's the Invincible to hide the fact that they did a switcheroo. Right. And the switcheroo is, is that the HMS Invincible is sunk. The British hide the fact. The illustrious, which is about to be launched anyway, is launched, but then they do a, a switcheroo and say, that's not the illustrious you're looking at. That's the Invincible. Um, and then somehow, and you know, some of the theories about how they cover up the fact that the illustrious wasn't the illustrious anymore is amazing. But then they have they quickly whip up another illustrious, and they also whip up the Ark Royal as well. Um, so the whole theory is that the Invincible goes down, and there's photographic evidence to back it up because 
the 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 pictures of the Invincible with the Hermes after the war aren't the same ship allegedly, and they nitpick all these little details about this ship has these guns here and not those guns there, um, and the British did a quick switcheroo to hide the fact because they were just you know they were too prideful that you know Argentina could sink one of their aircraft carriers, um, and you know that's I mean basically the the whole conspiracy is fed on all these like you know arcane timing issues that um, if you want me to go into that in the attack itself that the Argentinians say that they struck the uh, the invincible um, what the British say happened was that there was a ship called the oh, I'm going to forget it it's the Avenger, I think it was the, the Atlantic Convoy Convoyer okay the Atlantic Convoy yeah there was a supply ship that a couple of days earlier on the 25th was attacked and was not sunk, although the Argentinians thought they sunk it, but it was basically a floating hulk. On the 30th, the, what the Argentinians thought they attacked, and they thought it was the illustrious, not the illustrious, the invincible. Yeah, they have to make all their aircraft carriers the same <laughs> about it. I don't know. It's, it's, it's a British thing, I guess. Right. Um, they thought they struck the invincible, but what they actually struck was the burned-out hulk of this other supply ship um, but what the Argentinians say in their theory is no 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 that ship was sunk on the 25th you're trying to say that what we attacked on the 30th was a ship that was already sunk therefore our conspiracy theory has evidence of the fact that because the ship was actually sunk on the 25th and wasn't there on the 30th like the British claim we had to have struck the, the uh, invincible nah. if you follow that <laughs> right. so the uh the Argentinians, I mean, they had they had sort of a limited supply of these Exocet missiles, which which were su- supplied by by France. Uh, now, to be fair to France, I mean, they're always the you know the heavies in in almost any story. Uh, to <laughs> be fair to France, so France, you know, stopped didn't resupply the Argentinians with Exocets, and they only had a very limited supply. And the French just basically sort of handed over every technical spec they had on hand to the British saying oh yeah here's here is everything you ever want to know about the exoset if there's anything you can use to, you know figure out how to you know countermeasures go at it so you know the, yeah. the, the, the French were definitely right right behind the British yeah I mean the French were helping the British with the exoset the Chileans were actually giving them some um, uh, radar and aircraft information that they were getting from high atop the Andes um and also, the United States secretly was um, for the base in the middle of the Ascension Island. That was a U.S. base. Basically, the U.S. government said to the commander there, whatever the British want, you help them. And we were actually, I believe, I believe the U.S. Navy was actually refueling British tankers at sea so they didn't have to go all the way back to Britain to refuel. So the British were getting some lots of secret help. Nobody was helping the Argentinians all that much. And, and if, you, if you wonder sort of why, like, in like the... Gulf, uh, Persian Gulf, you know, world attention's right now in the uh, the uh, Gulf of Mexico. But uh, you know, the Persian Gulf. It, why the British are always so like America? Yep, we'll go there. We'll do that. It, it's, it traces it right back to the Falklands War. That, that that America was, you know, what, once it became apparent that the Argentinians were going to continue with this this little invasion, that America said, you know what, sorry, Argentina, we're on the British side. And, and so America was definitely right behind the, the British 
complete extent. It's, so the British have always sort of, since then, have, have sort of, you know, okay, it's payback time, it's payback time. Well, I mean, and, you know, the other thing, I mean, interesting thing is another reason why the Argentinians didn't think the U.S. was going to go on the uh, British side on this one was the Monroe Doctrine. And, you know, uh, for those who, I mean, I don't know if the Monroe Doctrine is big outside <laughs> the United States or not. Um, but anyway, the Monroe Doctrine was this doctrine of any time uh, a piece of territory in the Western Hemisphere becomes free from Europe, um, the United States would not allow that piece of territory to go back to European sovereignty. That's it in a nutshell. Oh, right, yes, yeah. Um, and, you know, in this case, you know, yeah, you could argue that the Falklands were now no longer British. It's in the Western Hemisphere. Therefore, the, we should be saying to the Brit- British, hands off. Right. Except, you know, the Reagan administration at the time just said, mm, we're going to just forget about that for now. I don't care. Um, you know, a couple of little things, too, with the British yeah. and the Americans. Um, well, there's one interesting thing where, you know, the, the Soviets, remember, they were our enemies back then, that the Soviets, apparently, they offered the Argentinians, they said to the Argentinians, you know, we will send one of our subs down there and we'll sink the, uh, you know, one of the aircraft carriers for you and you can take credit. Um, that, that was, and the Argentinians actually said, no, they, they they actually had a little bit of pride. They like you know if we're going to well, sink it, we'll sink it ourselves. But but then then the Americans were ready to because right, you were saying if they lost like the Hermes, we, we were yeah Hague. I, I don't know if it was Hague or, or I forget who it was, but they basically said if you want to uh, borrow one of our aircraft carriers, yeah, you, you yeah. Can get at it. Yeah, they're going to give them, not not like one of those big Nimitz class, but like like kind of one of the. Uh, more like those marine landing aircraft carriers. They're 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 maybe comparable to the uh, you know the, the, the invincible or something like that. Yeah, yeah. America was ready, and and America too. There was something about like like the British had two different kinds of um, uh, sidewinder missiles. They were like the new ones, the absolutely latest ones, which were sort of like their NATO storms. And then they had the ones that they were you know were allowed to kind of use outside of you know their NATO responsibilities and and the Americans were kind of look the other way let the British use these these advanced aim, called aim nines uh, yeah it, you know that were supposed to be for their NATO stories but and and that really let the Harriers you know sink or sink splash a lot of uh, a lot of the Argentinian Air Force if they didn't have those they, if they were using the older ones they were kind of like I think you had to sort of basically you had to be right behind the aircraft or they had to yeah. be right behind the aircraft to you know get a lock with these new ones you know you, you know, the, the thing could be coming at you or a side view and you could still fire the the the, the, the aim 9s or something but yeah so yeah. right and so, also like behind the scenes also like you know when britain pulled out like you know like you know i guess we have patrols and that type of thing keeping an eye on the soviet union at that time and making sure the east germans didn't do something tricky or whatever um and the British basically just said, well, we're going to forget about what we're supposed to be doing and pull out. And the United States basically just said, don't worry about it. We'll fill the slot. Right, yeah. Um, so, I mean, and, and, you know, I, I didn't see Canada helping anybody. <laughs> and it's your own queen. What did you Canadians do? Did you send them? No, no help from Canada. There, good luck. <laughs> now you're making me feel bad. <laughs> I'm kidding. I'm kidding. No. <laughs> but the uh, the other one other thing too is like the like I think even the bombs the uh, sort of the sort of little free fall bombs the Argentinians are using uh, again the, the the French were supposed to sort of ship them 
uh, like basically fuses for the bombs. But the uh, they you know they they stopped those shipments. So so when the Argentinians were sort of dropping bombs on British aircraft, they British you know uh, ships, they were basically dropping the bombs without the right fuses. So so. You know, a lot of the they bounce off. They would bounce off, or they would just they they would hit. They they go through a few decks, but they wouldn't explode. So, so um, again, that sort of really saved the British asses because they 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 would have lost a lot more ships because the oh, bombs. Yeah, I, I mean, I, I mean, you know, pretty much Argentina. They, they invaded a, a you know a piece of sovereign British territory, and everybody backed up the British, which, you know, I mean, one of the things that uh, I remember when I was writing my paper, if I can remember it correctly, 18, 17 years later, um, one of the things that was really interesting that I never knew, because, I I mean, I live in the northeast United States, and in this area as a kid, I mean, everybody was, you know, briefly during the uh, spring of um, 1982 was British again. You know, we're all going, yay, Britain. But as the farther east and south you got in the United States, the more and more less yay British and either more neutral or pro-Argentine people became. Um, so it's kind of like the farther you got away from the mother country geographically, the more pro or anti-British you got, um, which it just always kind of stuck with me. It was something that I never even realized. But uh, I was firmly in pro-British territory at the time, so yay Britain. Um, <laughs> But anyway, so getting back to the conspiracy, right, yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, the, 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 the big conspiracy, the one where the Invincible was sunk um, and, and the, the British hit it, um, there, you know, there's lots of goofy reason, ways that you know, the pro-conspiracy people say that the British covered it up. Now, the obvious thing is, is that they took the illustrious that was almost finished and just kind of swapped out the name uh, Invincible to Illustrious, I mean, from Illustrious to Invincible, and fooled everybody. And what they did to um, to make another ship, the conspiracy theories are everywhere from where they secretly built another ship really darn quick. And one of them was they built in Alabama. <laughs> um, I'm, I'm being... Yeah, my my uh, lady Whitehall just walked in the room. Sorry, Carl. I'm running pizza. Uh, I've been told she's running for pizza. <laughs> You're on that podcast thing. Yeah, I'm on the podcast thing. Is it Brian Thompson? I love him. <laughs> no, it's the conspiracy skeptic. Only have to try. <laughs> See you later. <laughs> I'll only ever be half as good. <laughs> oh, stop. Anyway, but I always thought that was a, a great theory where, yes, qu- quickly, like in Alabama or somewhere in the southern United States, a U.S. shipyard quickly whipped together a British ship quickly and in time that nobody ever knew that it was missing. Right. So, I think the obvious – there's two rather obvious problems with that. Well, yes. Uh, which, which are – well, for one thing, nobody ever saw a British ship being built somewhere in the southern United States. Uh, yeah. it, it's kind of hard to hide building a ship. Yeah. takes maybe 10, 20 people to work on that. Yeah, at least. You know, at, at least 10 or 20, if not, you know, maybe 50 at high. No. I mean, you, you would need, <laughs> I don't know, how many people does it take to build a ship? I have no clue. A few hundred at least? 
Um, so you have all these people who secretly built a, a British ship and never told anybody. Right. Um, unless they were shot. I don't know. Um, and, and just the time aspect. I mean, it takes you know a good few years to build a warship. It doesn't happen in a couple of weeks. It's not like you're yeah. building a Buick. Exactly. Um, and so that's that's. I mean, that's the, the one theory about how they covered up the ship. But but I mean, there's a bigger problem too. You know, uh, if you sink a British aircraft carrier, about a thousand British seamen and airmen, you know, fathers, husbands, they go down, right? Oh, well, yeah. I mean... <laughs> there, there appear to be no, you know, wives, children uh, in, in in Britain going, uh, where, where where's my dad again? Yeah, I, I mean, the British lost, I guess, total, maybe a little less than... How many? Was it a, a, a few hundred? I mean, they didn't lose. It wasn't like suddenly one day they had 500 dead, and next thing you know, there's a thousand others that are just missing in the thin air. Right. Um, and also, the British press corps was pretty well, and the American press corps, and the you know the world press corps, was all over the Royal Navy at that time. And uh, you know nobody reported. You know, yesterday there was a, a, an attack, and we don't know what happened to the Invincible. No one's seen it. And Bill, who was on the Invincible, no one's heard from him either. Um, if I recall, to- Tony Tony Snow, uh, who's kind of dead now, but to- Tony Snow, I think he was like embedded on the. Uh, Invincible. He was Tony Snow. As he was the journalist, he became yeah. uh, Bush's you know, press secretary or something like that. But yeah. uh, he sa- sounds amazingly like uh, a lot like uh, Doctor Novella, as far as I'm concerned. Oh, yeah, but uh, I mean, but I mean, so they, but he died. Maybe he was just about to reveal the whole conspiracy, so they had to that, bump that whole that whole terrible cancer thing. They made that up. Yeah, exactly. So, uh, right. so I mean, that's the other problem. Um, but then, and then, of course, you know, too, it's like, uh, you know, sailors have friends on that ship, and sailors would be talking about it and stuff like that. You couldn't really cover that up, right? And there were other ships in the area that would have seen the ship go down. Right, yeah. And there would have been rescue operations and all sorts of stuff that yeah. just never occurred. One of the problems with this too, it's like it's like the whole conspiracy. They, you know, they call it anomaly hunting. It's uh, oh yeah, right. There's there's no positive evidence. I mean, other than other than sort of pilots pilots sort of saying, well, we we sunk this ship. But I mean, at the same time, it's like, well, why do you take pilots' words for it? You know, because you know during the whole war, right? You know, there's a lot of Argentinian propaganda. We sunk this ship. We, you know, like I don't know how many times they claimed the aircraft carriers were sunk. Right. So so you know. You, you don't necessarily have to take the word of the pilots. Yes, the pilots were telling the complete truth, right? Well, I mean, and it's not that the pilots were lying, but, you know, there's this, this idea of the fog of war, that at the time that you're doing something, you think you see stuff that actually isn't occurring. Right, exactly. Um, I, like, I guess one example that I'm thinking off the top of my head is that during the Battle of Britain, you know, when the British pilots would get back, they'd be like, we shot down 200 German planes, and it might have been 100. And the German pilots are saying, we shot down 300 British planes, and it might have been 50. Um, you know, people just tend to exaggerate what they did and what they saw during war. It's not making stuff up. It's just, you just don't know. Exactly, right. Um, so, I mean, the anomalies, I mean, there's all kinds of, most anomalies, I, there's lots of photographic anomalies where they're looking at pictures of, like I said before, of the Hermes with 
the illustrious, but they're saying they're trying to pawn the illustrious off as the invincible because the the, the how the guns are on the um, deck are slightly different, and therefore you can tell. Um, and you know, and the easy response to that is is that the illustrious, which was the second ship, the sister ship of the invincible, was um, launched or I guess commissioned right after the war ended. So. You know, there was only so many British ships, so, you know, the, 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 I guess the Hermes and the Illustrious met at sea, and someone took a picture, and to Argentinians, that is evidence that the Invincible was sunk somehow. I mean, it's, they're stretching, but, you know, they're trying. What, what are the other, one of the funny claims is, uh, is um, you know, they say, well, if you look at the photographs of the, uh, you know, of the, uh, the Hermes, it, it looks like it's been through a war. It's all pretty crap. Oh, up. Yeah. But if you look at a, a photograph of the, you know, of the um, Invincible right after the war, why it looks brand spanking new? What, what's what's the problem there? Well, well, I mean, uh, two things. A, the Hermes was really, really old. <laughs> it was old. It <laughs> That's was why it looked old. old. <laughs> it was old. It was beat down. They weren't planning on keeping the ship that much longer in the fleet. Um, it was just an old ship, and you know they they kept it going. But one of the things I was reading was it was at the end of the when the when the combat stopped, um, the first thing that the Royal Navy basically did was get the Hermes home before it falls apart. Um, and so the the Invincible, which was newer, stuck around just to kind of you know make sure that things were going okay. So that didn't come home for a good two to three months after the Hermes did. Now the conspiracy theorists are. That well, either one of two things: either if it was struck and badly damaged, they were feverishly trying to repair the ship at sea to hide the fact, or if it was sunk, they were feverishly trying to build another ship quick to take its place. Right, right. Um, I mean, I think it forgets a couple of things, which is a the Invincible when it came home was a a new ship, only a couple years old. It wasn't old and decrepit like the Hermes. And the second thing is that the Royal Navy it, it's a professional navy, so if you get a chance and you get some downtime when combat operations have slowed down, I mean, I've never been in the Navy, but, you know, you basically are always scraping and painting a ship to make sure that it's in good condition. Um, and that's what they did. They painted the thing at sea, so when it came back, it was as good a shape as you could expect a ship to be. And that's just, I guess, proper seakeeping or whatever the term is. Sure, right. But, um, that, that, was, that, but that was one of the claims, the, the anomaly. So, it, you know... It didn't come home with the rest of the fleet. It came home several months later, which is like, well, maybe, yeah, because maybe they just wanted to keep it on station just to make sure the Argentinians didn't pull another fast one or something. Well, yeah. You know yeah. what I mean? Yeah. Or maybe they just, I mean, they needed it to, because I think, I think what was one, and, one of And the, at the other time, I mean, that was the only active sh- uh, aircraft carrier the British had. So, I mean, they didn't really have much of a choice. If they wanted to have an aircraft carrier at sea doing something, that's what they had to do. <laughs> I think it was the, was it the Atlantic. I think the Atlantic conveyor, which is one of the ships they yeah. they sunk or they really destroyed. One of the ships they they destroyed. They, the British were kind of stupid in that that they put all of their big troop helicopters on one ship, and that one got sunk. So when they you know were on the island, you know they were going to use these big helicopters to move troops 
forward really quickly, and they didn't they didn't have those things anymore. So they had to just basically use like little their, their smaller helicopters to you know move troops, but not as quickly. So I mean, they, maybe they might have had the uh, you know the, the invincible still on station, you know, because now it's holding the bigger helicopters to more, move people around or something. They they needed helicopters yeah. basically, you know. So it, they. they you know, yeah, they need they they did they were they were down, which you know I mean that's just, I mean a side note, another side note is that the British you could tell they were kind of rusty in this whole thing is that they didn't properly uh, what's the term it's combat load the ships which is like you don't put all of one thing on one ship right they disperse um, so things you disperse things so if like you know they sink a ship okay they took ten percent of our tanks with it yeah. but you don't put all your tanks on one ship and have it go down the next thing you know you know uh. What are we going to do? They got all uh, the toilet paper. Oh, no. <laughs> well, then, then you've lost the war there. Basically. Um, and, uh, I mean, you know, what I find interesting about this whole conspiracy is, you know, it, it's not like the JFK conspiracy, which, you know, I think probably every person on the planet knows that conspiracy um, inside and out. And probably most people believe that there was a conspiracy. I mean, in fact, the other day at work, um, a person I work with who's a very intelligent, smart person, very well educated, just really sharp, was basically telling me, you don't believe that uh, that Kennedy was assassinated by Oswald alone, do you? Um, and I quickly jumped into my, uh, my skeptic mode and, you know, basically showed him a thing or two. And even though he was like, oh, yeah, but I still don't think he did it alone. I mean, you know. Um, I mean, this just shows you that, like, you know, a conspiracy can kind of prop up anywhere. And and what I find amazing about this conspiracy is is that the Argentinians uh, or a section of the Argentinian populace and others probably have this conspiracy that they sank or severely damaged a Royal Navy ship. It didn't change the outcome of the war. It didn't have any effect. At the end of the day, the British got back their islands. They're still there to this very day. Um. But, you know, it's just, you know, it's almost just like it's a matter of pride that, well, you know, we lost the war, but, you know, we, we were able to sink their one ship. Ha, ha, ha. Um, I mean, you know, at least with the Kennedy conspiracy, people have these grandiose visions that, you know, if Kennedy hadn't been assassinated by the military industrial complex, Vietnam would have never happened and the 60s would have been just wonderful and uh, we'd all have flying cars by now. And my iPad would be here from China already instead of sitting someplace in Shanghua. But, you know... But, but what do you, that's what you get, right? <laughs> you know, one of the um, uh, say, right? So I mean, I mean, the, the the fascinating thing about this conspiracy theory is that you know, it it's it's like we sunk the ship, but then there's you know there's post war there's all these photos and videos of the ship, and and then which then requires people to sort of now you know. Add in a whole new level. Well, we sunk it, but it was then replaced by another ship. It's just, it's, it's. I mean, it's a classic example of you know, of sort of the the anomaly hunting. And when, when every time you, you you just pin the person to the wall, they find something even more improbable and bizarre to sort of you know wriggle out. Oh yeah, I, I mean, one of the first sites when I started to research this uh, was uh, somebody sent a picture to this person saying. That, oh, guess what? You know, we, we sunk your ship, ha, ha, ha. And somebody sent a picture of the Invincible in Port Stanley Harbor 
right after the war. <laughs> I mean, it's, there's the ship. It says, Her Majesty's Ship Invincible, right on the side. It's in Port Stanley after the war. What else do you want? And then, you know, the answer is, that's not the Invincible. That's the illustrious. Right. Faking. And, you know, and it just it, it builds from there. I mean, there's no way to stamp it out. Which then sets off a whole, you know, examining photos and stuff like that. And, and, and too, I mean, some of the photo is like, oh, you know, these two ships should not have been there. I mean, how do you even know that those photos came from that time period? You know, uh, like I was looking at some of these websites and they're saying, aha, see, like you're saying about the HMS Hermes, Hermes and, uh, and, um, so the illustrious or something like that, and they're going, ah, oh, this is this, this was taken right during the Falklands War, and it's like, well, says who? You know, you, you always yeah. have to sort of ask, says who? Right? You know, that that that, that kind of stuff. Well, another uh, thing is, I don't speak Spanish, so when I was researching this, I kept running into websites that were in Spanish, so I was basically looking at the pretty pictures the whole time, right? Yes, and right. trying to use my twelfth uh, grade one year Spanish to try to figure out what it was saying, and all I could get out was uh, "invincible" or whatever it is. Um, uh, yeah, but I mean, they they, you know. It's one of these things where, like, you know, so there's the photo anomalies. There's the fact that the Invincible came home a couple of months after the Hermes did and looked in better shape. There's the whole, you know, we sank the Atlantic convoy or convey or whatever, and therefore we couldn't have hit it on the 30th. And the British were saying, no, it actually wasn't sunk. But no, 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 no. So they basically retro-dicked in a ship that was sunk when it wasn't to make it work out. Um, I mean, it, it, it gets a little bit ridiculous. But I, I, I don't read enough Spanish to get a, a real feel for how many in Argentina actually believe this. <laughs> yeah, but what's it's enough that there's a few websites... <laughs> And if you, if you're to believe Wiki, I, I'm I'm not sure if the, the the claim is even footnoted. So so take it for what it is. But according to the Wiki page on the Exocet missile, that the Exocet was designed basically for use against like frigates and destroyers, and and, and it, it's not really capable of sinking a uh, you know a larger ship like an aircraft carrier. Yeah, I, I mean one of the things that oh, what is it that. During the attack, according to the British record, the attack where the Invincible was allegedly hit and sunk, one of the airplanes or one of the missiles or something like that was shot down with a, a rather large shell, like a 4.15-inch shell or something like that. Apparently, right. That's really – that's just extremely rare. Right. And of course, since it's rare, it couldn't have happened. Right. I mean, that's the argument on the other side. Right. That was sort of the claim that, that, that the, what happened to the very last Exocet missile, they say they shot it and it hit the Invincible and it hit or sunk the Invincible. And the British say, no, it was actually, you know, you, you shot it at another ship and it, we, we basically sort of shot it out of the air with our sort of close in defense weapons. And then they, they think it was like, a, like, like sort of like a deck gun. And 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 one of the points is like, well, you know, I mean, because it's a sea skimming missile, and the deck guns, you know, on the top of the deck. So how could it have? It couldn't have aimed below, you know, the deck or something. But then the claims like, well, I mean, it's not shooting like a HE. It's sort of shooting yeah. uh, anti-aircraft shells, which you know burst right, and and shell fragments go down. So. At, I was going to say that almost any any pilot they have that expression, you know, the gold, golden BB, right? That that it's just all that it takes is that golden BB to you know hit you in the right place. And, and, and oh sure, um, 
I mean, this is going to be talking about something I'm pulling out my butt right now, Carl. Um, there's a movie that was, oh gosh, it came out, oh, I don't know, 15 years ago with Willem Dafoe, um, Night of the... Uh, Night of the Intruder or Flight of the Flight, Intruder? Flight of the Intruder, right, yes. And the movie starts off with, you know, the, the, uh, they're, they're flying an intruder attack low over, uh, I guess, North Vietnam. And a North uh, Vietnamese farmer, I can never say that word correctly. I, I can't say it. I've been to the country and I still can't say it correctly. A, 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 North, a citizen of North Vietnam with like a flintlock gun fires at the, the, the intruder airplane. And the musket ball or whatever goes out, hits the plane, hits the windscreen, and kills the co-pilot. And that's how the movie opens up. It's like, you know, this one in a million shot, and this pilot's, like, you know, traumatized. They lost his wingman and all that kind of thing. Um, and, you know, but, you know, that kind of weird stuff happens. <laughs> exactly, right, yeah. yeah. Crap happens. Yeah, yeah, it does. All right, I guess maybe guess we could, we could finish up. Any any anything else you want you want to add about the about this uh, probably this conspiracy that only really interests me, you, and five other people? Like, yeah, you know, like the JFK <laughs> one. I, I I mean, I'm assuming it was relatively popular. I I don't know if it was or not, yeah. Carl. But you know, it's the JFK conspiracy. I yeah. think people are gonna look at this on iTunes and go, "What?" Yeah, but I mean, <laughs> we're we're roughly the same age, and you know, it was kind of our boyhood. You know, it was summertime when this all happened, and uh, oh yeah, you know, so it made for you know. For, I mean, yeah, like an 11 year old. I think I was maybe 13. Sorry, can I ask how old you are, Nigel? Oh, yeah, I'm uh, 38. 38. Oh, okay, so I'm 40, 43. So, so yeah. So I mean, we're in the same age group. Yeah, yeah, so we were like, you know, tween teenager years or something. Sure. Exactly the kind of stuff that just, I mean, sorry all these people died, but it, you're, we're young, just excites the hell out of you. Because this is before Desert Storm, before all that sort of stuff. This was the real first time, like, like a modern warfare. You know, we had seen modern warfare since the Vietnam era. I mean, people were using, you know, wow, these things, you know, had, these missiles had transistors. Oh, yeah, I mean, I know it's not, I mean, I, I don't want to make it sound crude, but like right after the war was fought, um, there's this great, I forget if it was Time or Newsweek, but the cover of the magazine is The Empire Strikes Back. Yes, yes. And, and I think and, that's, that's when The Empire Strikes Back came out, too, the, the, the movie yeah, itself, right? Was it yeah, it was a couple of years after the movie came out. And so, you know, it, it's, you know I think people would get the reference today. I, at least I hope they would. Um, but, uh, yeah, I mean, it was really, it was, I, I, it sounds terrible, but um, it was a really cool thing to watch at the time. Um, you know, it was this weird little, Imperial war happening in the South Atlantic between Britain and Argentina, and you know, how often does that happen? Um, uh, and you know, I, I guess, I guess from my perspective, um, you know, it was nice to see because the good guys won. You know, Britain did what they always did, which is they, they, you know, they lost the opening round, but they won the war somehow. Right. All right, Nigel. Well, uh, let's see. Uh, well, I, I, I had asked you the, uh, what, you know, what's your favorite uh, small kitchen appliance last time? Uh, what, do, you, do you remember what your answer was? It was the magic bullet. Oh, oh yes, the magic bullet. Are you still? Uh, <laughs> is that your, still your favorite small kitchen appliance? Or? Well, that, that is my favorite All for right. obvious reasons. Okay. Uh, they, they don't make an appliance called like the uh, Exocet coffee grinder or anything. All right. Um, if the iPad, but if the iPad, if you can start loading it up with uh, recipes, that could be a valid kitchen appliance. Well, it could be. A, you know, it's a it's a glass plate, so you can cut cheese on it. Ah, right. Yes, yes. Right. There, there's something between you and your wife. There, there's a lot into 
lot of background, behind-the-scenes negotiations that have gone on to get this iPad into your hands that I don't think the listeners are quite aware of. Uh, well, let me just say this. Uh, first of all, I, I mean, I know, Carl, you're, you're not in, you haven't drunk the Kool-Aid like I have. Um, I'm a big Apple fanboy, um, and I'm the worst kind of Apple fanboy where, um, you know how like the, the term is, like if you're a Catholic from birth, you can kind of take in, you can give and take what you want, but if you're a convert, you're like a super Catholic. Right, yes. Well, I'm a convert to the Apple products. I'm like a super, super fanboy. Um, that, that being said, uh, basically, I had to uh, negotiate and pay my wife off. <laughs> um, she, she got a coach purse. So. Very nice, very nice. You're, you're, you're the best husband ever. <laughs> well, I hope she listened to this podcast and hear that. But I insist. She I'm nuts, but yeah, I, I had to buy her a purse and, and and I get my iPad, and so everybody's happy. All right, yeah. So I'm a lot poorer right now. All right. It worked today. All right. uh, I, oh, I, I, I want to give a shout out to, uh, I don't really know his real name, but uh, he messaged me on Twitter. His, his Twitter name is Los Dangerous. Uh, he's not Argentinian. He's actually from the Philippines. So I was just kind of, yeah. just kind of excited. Wow, I've got a listener in the Philippines. Uh, he, so a uh, big, big shout out to Los Dangerous of Twitter, who I guess is a listener from the Philippines. So that's kind of exciting. Oh, that is kind of Yeah. And I took your advice and I am going to TAM 8 in uh, July. I've got my got my hotel and everything all booked and my flight and everything. So I'll be I'll be at TAM 8 if any listeners are out there who want to say hi. I know George you're going to be out there for a whole week, right? Yeah, I'm going to I've never been to Vegas, so I guess cuz the whole conference is kind of, you know, you're just there and it's all it's all one big blur. You don't probably get to see a lot of Vegas, especially cuz it's like pretty south of the strip. So, I'm going to get there like the Sunday before and spend a few days just do the touristy things. So, uh, uh Oh yeah, well I've been there twice. I got married there, but right. I've been there twice. So, I mean, I will give you all kinds of cool things that you can do. <laughs> okay, let me let me know. Yeah, and uh, so I know George, George Robb. He says listeners are supposed to come up to him and say um, vibraphone or Pope Shenouda or something like that. So if uh, if you're a listener, you could come up to me and you could say, uh, "I thought you'd be taller." If you could say that. <laughs> I thought you'd be taller, so <laughs> then I'll know. That's our little secret code for uh, for uh, uh, I listen to your show and I I don't fully hate it. <laughs> I need you to get somehow or the other a lock of who do you think? How about a lock of Jay Novella's hair? Jay Novella's hair. I, I will. I'll, I'll certainly try. <laughs> I mean, I'm trying to think, because, like, if I remember correctly, like, Evan and all that, they have, like, crew cuts. So that's not going to help me. Uh, um, I guess you could take, like, uh, oh, I don't know, one of the members of the Skeptic Zone and, and bottle one of their breasts for me or something creepy like that. But, you know, I, I'm so jealous. I am I, I am so damn jealous, Carl. Well, I'm also trying to secure a fez so I can... Uh, I can oh, that's right. Yeah, so What's that? Uh Rich Orman from uh, oh, okay, yeah, Free America. He's he will be turning up in Fez. So um, I think I said I would I would be like kind of Akbar and Jeff with him. So, <laughs> so uh, and we can like we can like touch fingers like they do in the in the cartoon. So yes, so maybe look for a sort of a shorter Canadian guy in a Fez, and that that will be me. But right, yes, I thought you'd be taller. That's that's what you should say to me. Um and. Uh when you know, just have a have a 
beer from here when you're out there. And I don't know. Someday I'll get out to Tam. Oh, for sure. Right. Yeah. Actually, actually I, I should be going to the Nexus conference, but I never quite seem to even do that. And that's only two hours, three hours away from me. So. Well, and uh, it, and you, let's put in a plug for your 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 blog, Nigel. Oh, well, you're, yeah. You're just, not, you're just not some schmuck I talk to. For that. Oh, yeah. I, I have a blog, which you actually uh, do some nice contributions to. And, and it might be my blog, but you have the better blo- the better post, Carl. So keep it up. But no, it's the uh, Skeptical Review. It's uh, it's on Blogger. Um, just have to go to Skepreview, S-K-E-P-R-E-V-I-E-W.com. Um, I try to post at least twice a week, and I basically just do commentaries on a whole bunch of different uh, skeptical and science podcasts, which I try to keep up with. And Carl gives a few very nice contributions, too, and, and that's always very well appreciated. Yeah, I've just been trying to interview people now. And on the podcast you review, I try to interview them. So far, I've got uh, um, Leighton, Leighton from uh, a religious office, from that Mormon podcast. And, <laughs> yes. uh, and then I also did one with... Um, uh, I want to call him Meth uh, Marsh from uh, from uh, Righteous Indignation slash Skeptics with a K. Yeah, both very good, and I I've got one in the pipeline with uh, uh, Brian Thompson. Uh, I can't wait to read that. <sighs> yeah, but uh, um, and, and as always, Carl, you're always welcome to post on my my blog whenever you want. All right, um, and um, when you're in, if you're in, when you're in a in uh, Las Vegas, if you uh, bring your laptop or whatnot with you and you can get some Wi-Fi, if you want to post a few things while you're there, I will be forever grateful. Yes, yes, I, that's, a good, that's a good, that's a good, glad you mentioned that, right? Uh, my my uh, TAM experience updates will be posted to your blog, so look look for that as well. And let's put out a little, let's put in a little plug for uh, Brian Thompson's Amateur Scientist Podcast fundraiser this month. It's a Celebrothon or something. Yeah, I I have actually given my I have given, I won't call it the maximum amounts because I'm sure if I sent him ten thousand dollars if I had it he would take it but I I sent in the appropriate amount to get a free T-shirt from uh, Brian um, and I think whoever's listening all thirty two of you um, should go to your checkbooks and uh, send Brian some uh, funds because uh, the uh, Amateur Scientist podcast is really truly I mean it's it's a little racy. You don't want to be playing it for the kids. No, you don't. But it is a fantastic, fantastic podcast, and um, it gets the skepticism to you, but co- sugarcoated in some wonderful dick jokes. Absolutely right. Yeah, yeah it's, very, it's, it's a very good podcast, and, and donate if you can. The economy's getting better, people. <laughs> so just uh, give in, and is there anybody else we can plug while we're at it? Um, uh, what was I going to say? There's something. Oh, I wanted to say something about the uh, good folks from over at the uh, Righteous Indignation podcast, and it just left me. I can't remember what it was. But you should listen to that podcast too, right? Um, because I, I hate to say this, and, and nothing against our friends in uh, New England, but um, I, I think that might be my, my favorite general podcast right now. Right. I, I'm not saying it officially. Yeah. Tristan Swale, he uh, uh, it's his Tristan and and Haley and Marsh and Gavin, that who's, there's some mighty fine brats over who's, there. Who's Haley again? Oh, uh, 
she's, uh, I think, the love of your life, if I remember correctly. My one true love, yes. Thank you for reminding me. You'd have, and you know what? I think Haley is 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 a shorter woman, if I if I remember correctly, not that I've met her, but so you could have some really nice looking smaller kids. She, they, she wouldn't, they wouldn't they wouldn't eat much. They're small. She's up on this pedestal so high. I don't I don't know how tall she is. Really, I couldn't tell you. Well, I, I'm sure you watched her um, her uh, when she did her uh, experiment with the apple. Yeah, yeah, I did. And. Um, I'm sure you watched them many times, but uh, no, I, I, I that that crew over at Righteous Indignation. Uh, I guess I'm going off my, my blogger mode right now. I apologize. I can cut this if you want, but uh, that they they do some mighty fine work. I, 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 I as the more they go on, the more impressed I am by them. They're they're very very good. Um, there's other very good blog uh, podcasts out there. Um, they all seem to be somehow connected with the queen there's your podcast there's righteous indignation there's the skeptic zone um there's the token skeptic with kylie sturgis which she puts out some really neat interviews and stuff um i i don't know what it is maybe i'm just a big uh secret um i don't know i'm a sucker for the queen i don't know what it is but um true true all very fine podcasts true story true story uh What's her name? Kaylee, Kaylee, Kaylee Sturgis. What's her name? Kylie Sturgis. Kylie, Kylie, Kylie Sturgis. Uh, She was the uh, inspiration for George Robb's Brains, Body, Both song. True story. Really? Yes, true story. Well, I mean, she's another person out there, you know, who I don't know when she sleeps. I honestly, I mean, she makes Rebecca Watson look lazy. Not that Rebecca Watson's lazy, but I mean, Kylie Sturgis is like, she's on a couple of different podcasts. She's putting articles out there. She, I mean, what does she do? I mean, she sleeps like two hours a day and then off she goes. I, I don't know how she does it, but she's another person who's just mighty, mighty impressive. <laughs> now that we've made friends of everybody in Skeptical Podcast. Right, now I've got to rip on a few people right now. <laughs> Just kidding. <laughs> yeah, exactly. All right, well, I, I should I should let you go, Nigel. Thank you. All right. Well, Thanks. hey, Carl. Thanks a lot. I, I enjoy being on your show as always. Oh, okay. And if you if you love Nigel, we're gonna have you back on again. We have got a couple other ideas in, in the pipeline. So yeah, but they 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 they're the one especially is going to take a lot of research. But I'll, I'll do that on my iPad. So it'll be great. There you go. That's cool. All right. Then. Okay. Have a good night. All right. Good night, Carl. Right. Bye, Nigel. I said I see no joy, I see only sorrow I see no chance of a bright new tomorrow So stand up, Mark, stand up, please Stand up, my friend I said stand up, Mark, stand up, please Stand up, my friend You tell me how can it work in this all white world What's a short, sharp lesson, what's a third world world oh, Stand up, Mark, stand up, please Stand up, my friend I said stand up, Mark, stand up, please Stand up, my Shot, shot, world war.